Thanks for joining us on our U.S. Soccer President Candidate Forum Series. I'm Justin Brunken with the American Outlaws, and our goal is to help foster positive change for the Federation and U.S. Soccer by giving the candidates a platform to talk to and listen to our members, the fans. These forums are only possible because of our members' support. So feel free to become a member yourself, if you aren't already, at theamericanoutlaws.com. Visit our election page at voao.theamericanoutlaws.com forward slash ao dash election dash center. Yeah, I know it is a tad long, but it's where you can uh, see candidate questionnaires and the schedule for all the rest of the live forums. We'll see you at the next game in the stands. Listen and see if they address your issues and thoughts. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome to our third of our series of live presidential forums we are holding for the candidates for president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. We appreciate all of you out there tuning in tonight. I am Donald, and tonight we are here with candidate Kathy Carter as we get to know her positions on several key issues facing U.S. soccer and the fans. Before we begin, let's get the housekeeping out of the way first. If you have a question that you would like to pose to Kathy tonight, please click on, click on the Q&A tab on your right-hand side and submit your question. Please mark it to all panelists and include your first name and the chapter you represent. We'll get to as many of your questions as we can, uh, but we apologize in advance if we do not get to your question. Our questions will be mostly member questions and focus on fan-generated and fan-driven issues that other forums may be highlighting. With that, I would like to introduce our candidate tonight, Kathy Carter. Kathy is the president of Soccer United Marketing. She played collegiate soccer during her days at William & Mary and she was a member of the organizing committee for the 1994 World Cup. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and you now have the floor for some opening remarks. Great. Well, first of all, Donald, I really appreciate you hosting and for all of the American Outlaws for coming on tonight and for everything that you guys do uh, to bring such energy and passion, uh, not just to U.S. national team matches, uh, but also across our great sport um, here in the United States and everywhere else you guys travel. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be with you as we've marched to matches, not just in Vancouver uh, when our women won uh, the World Cup, but also in Brazil uh, when we played Belgium. Uh, it was a great march uh, in, uh, into that match, and I'll love to talk about uh, some of the other places that I've been able to experience matches with the American Outlaws. Um, but as I think about the future of our game and the future of where we're all going to have a chance to watch uh, our great our great teams and our great clubs uh, participate. Uh, uh, I start by looking at my experiences, uh, as I like to call them, in the game, of the game, and for the game, uh, because I've spent uh, almost my entire life, uh, about seven years, so I started when I was seven, uh, participating, uh, being a fan, ultimately spending my professional career in support and to grow the game. Uh, and so I'm excited, actually, as I think about the future. And while I hurt just like you all hurt and our athletes hurt uh, from having not qualified uh, it for the Russia World Cup, I'm very optimistic um, from what I've heard uh, as I've been out talking to people. 
I'm optimistic because I think that our, our membership and our sport is ready for change. And I believe that there is a way forward so that we will be back uh, in great uh, numbers and with great voices to support our women as they head to France in 2019 and ultimately uh, as they head towards, as we head towards qualification for Qatar in 2022. Uh, so with that, I'd love to talk about anything you guys want to hear about, about my vision, about my plans for how we can bring U.S. soccer to the next evolution uh, to create what is, I believe, uh, not just a great soccer nation, but what will become one of the best soccer nations that exists in this world. Great, thank you. Uh, I want to begin tonight's discussion in the area of youth development. And in your questionnaire that you provided to AO, which is available on our Election Center page, you mentioned that in your first 100 days, you would form, quote, an independent youth soccer commission mm -hmm. to investigate the challenges and opportunities that are in front of us. What areas of youth development will the commission focus on and what changes to the system do you hope they will highlight? Well, you know, I think it's actually interesting. As I talk to people, um, there really is a great understanding that there's great fractionalization that's happened, which is a hard word to say, by the way, but great fractionalization that's occurred in our sport, given the fact that we've got so many different um, clubs and leagues and organizations that are promoting youth soccer from recreational all the way up uh, to the upper echelons of development. Uh, and what I think, though, is that as we get in the room, it's very hard for us to disengage from our, from our own interests, uh, that which we may be managing or that which we may be running, uh, and get to what's good for the game. And so as a part of this, I'm going to ask the Commission to really focus on how should we be thinking about bringing kids into the game and ultimately making it easier for families to navigate the labyrinth of what today is youth soccer, uh, and ultimately how, are they, how can we make sure that kids are not leaving the sport uh, I think one of the unintended consequences of what we've created in uh, the acronym soup of youth soccer is actually that kids are um, excluded from participating as opposed to being inclusive. And I call that an unintended consequence because I think we've got a lot of people that are working really, really hard uh, in our sport. And my hope, and actually what I'm going to ask this commission to do, is to help us see all the great things that we've developed and built up to now but help us identify those things where perhaps our own self-interests get in the way of progress to identify ways that we can actually make it much easier uh, and, and much better for kids and families as they go through the system. And staying along those lines with youth development, uh, there was a report last week that said that U.S. soccer only has one full-time scout under its employment. How would you revamp scouting for both the men's and women's programs under your presidency? Well, I think that's actually a part of this, too. I mean, I've had the question, and I've actually asked a lot of people as I'm out um, talking to those that are experts in the field, is it better for us to continue with the DA on the, on the boys' side, or should we go in and, and invest in 100 scouts? Uh, and I think that's a question that, as I like to think about it, I've got the, I'm looking at how do we change different things within our youth development, but I also then have the experience to be able to deliver results. And I think as, as I look at this, I think we've got to ask some of those hard questions. So for me, it's about resources. Clearly on the men's side and the boys' side, we're, there's a lot of untapped uh, opportunity. Uh, we see that whether it's uh, in all of the conversations we're having about Jonathan Gonzalez uh, and, and ultimately whether or not he's even the best player to come out of uh, Northern California uh, and through the, the leagues that he played in that are today unaffiliated. 
Uh, on the women's side, it's probably not as 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 deep in the unaffiliated space, and so it may be that there's different ways for us to get out there and scout players. Um, but I think ultimately we've got to invest more uh, in the technical resources to take our federation forward, and more specifically to take our national team forward. We have our first member question, and it's submitted by Carrie. And Carrie asks, "Do you think the NWSL should have as much attention given to it as the candidates are spending on talking about MLS?" And how will you as president work to improve the NWSL? Well, first of all, I think that's a great question. And it's one that, uh, that I'm actually uh, obviously very passionate about. Well, I've spent my, my, my last 25 years and, and a lot of my time on the men's side of the game. I come from women's soccer and I am a, an enormous fan of what our women have represented. Uh, I am a very strong advocate and have the experience through my years of work with the, the with Major League Soccer to actually work with the owners of the NWSL uh, and look for additional owners that can come to the league so that we can continue to invest in the women's game. Uh, I think that that's something that the Federation has been incredibly supportive of uh, in these first four years. And under, under my leadership, I, I would like to see us continue that support so that we can continue to get the NWSL into what I think we can we can expect in the future, uh, a league that's not just equal to, but possibly even better uh, than the men's league and ultimately will be the shining star around the world in totality. And staying along those lines with the women's national team, um, the women's game has grown considerably in the United States, but recently the perception is that the rest of the world is catching up in terms of talent development and professional opportunities for women. Mm -hmm. How will you continue to keep the United States ahead of the pack in these areas? And, and people, uh, a couple of people have submitted questions about the fact, uh, you know, she believes in terms of nations, us, you know, having a rough go of it against some of these teams like England, Germany, and France. Well, let's start by um, how we performed in She Believes and, and Tournament of Nations. And obviously, we had a great comeback in, in one of the, the games at the, specifically against Brazil. But more importantly, in those tournaments and why they're so important and why I'm such a strong advocate that we not just continue to, to build those tournaments but, but increase um, the, the, the opportunity for our players is that we actually saw a lot of young players get a lot of caps in those games. Uh, and in fact, um, I think that, that part of the plan was to see how many of the young players could perform in what are equal to the types of conditions uh, that they will experience in the World Cup. And so if you looked at the way that U.S. soccer put together the tournament, it was actually intended to represent basically group play at the World Cup. And we saw lots of young players that were able to actually get some really terrific and difficult experience in those tournaments. And sometimes we didn't win. Uh, and actually, I know that, we, that was a cause of great concern. Uh, but if we remember the reason for those tournaments and that experience should parlay itself uh, to how our women perform in France. Uh, and I, for one, if we are able to, to successfully defend our crown uh, and become world champions again uh, in the 2019 uh, FIFA Women's World Cup, it'll be worth the, uh, the bumps and the bruises that we had in Tournament of Nations and She Believes. Uh, so I think we should be doing more of it, and I think we need to give more opportunities for young players to come through the system and get experience so that they can operate and actually be ready to perform on a global stage on behalf of our women's national team. Well, I think we all can certainly hope uh, that we repeat as uh, defending champions in 2019. 
we have another member question from Mike from AO San Francisco, mm -hmm. and he asked, would you look into the possibility to implement a European structure in your professional soccer leagues in the United States, mostly on the men's side? Uh, and what do you mean by a European structure? Oh, I think what he means is promotion relegation and uh, just, you know, kind of the, the division, mm -hmm. further delineation of the divisions of U.S. soccer. Well, you know, I've talked about it, and I actually love watching what happens in the Premier League and many of the other leagues that have strong promotion and relegation. It's fun. It gives such a great, um, great opportunity as a fan. But what I actually have been talking a lot about with people is, is actually, and, and Mike is in Northern California, um, and we saw the San Francisco Deltas. Uh, they won the NASL crown and went out of business the next day. And so what my first order of priority is to work with the divisions, the second division uh, and the third division beyond MLS, uh, to make sure on the men's side that we actually have sustainability. Uh, and I think the worst thing in the world for any of us is to have a club that goes out of business. And um, you put your heart and your soul into that, and the next thing we know, uh, they're not there the next year. So I think at, at, from my perspective, uh, promotion and relegation is fun to talk about, uh, but ultimately I think we've got to make sure that we've got communities that have sustainable clubs in their markets. Okay, this next question is from Julian from Baltimore, and he asked about, he wants to learn a little bit more about uh, your link with Soccer United Marketing and how that would affect. He says, you're the president of Soccer United Marketing whose major client is U.S. Soccer, and you are campaigning to run the federation that is linked with the, with the two. Why should fans view your presidential candidacy as one for change and what specifically would you do different from predecessor Sino Galati to manage the federation and its partnerships? And I think that's a two-part question. Sure. Let me let me start by at least explaining to the membership um, what Soccer United Soccer United Marketing is. Um, some was created in 2002, uh, prior to the World Cup, and really came into uh, fruition in 2003, with the in, the intention really to be able to um, aggregate rights and then sell on behalf of uh, of all of soccer. Uh, that, that happens, of course, for Major League Soccer. Some today represents U.S. soccer. Some also represents the Mexican Federation, also represents the Gold Cup uh, and other CONCACAF properties. Over time, it has been involved in a lot of different uh, different areas of the business. From from what my perspective, as, as everyone is aware, I've taken a leave of absence from some. Uh, and if I'm elected on February 10th, then I will resign that position full time. Uh, so what I do think, though, is my experience in the business of soccer, my experience in working, whether it's with CONCACAF or working with FIFA, uh, sitting on FIFA committees, uh, and actually being a part of uh, global football puts me in the best position to advocate on behalf of uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation to make sure that we protect the interest and the rights for the Federation. Uh, and I also have more experience on what that means. And so in terms of how I would actually uh, perhaps differentiate myself from the previous regime, uh, it's more about where the opportunity lies and how do we continue to increase the value of the U.S. Soccer Federation. The second part that I would talk about is that um, I have had the benefit of, of working in this game for 25 years, but I have not had the responsibility uh, for how and what we do from a development standpoint or even managing, obviously, the sport itself. And so from my perspective, I look at that and say I've got great understanding of how the sport is the business and how the business is the sport. Uh, I also have a great understanding that um, there are those who have made their livelihoods uh, in the game from a technical perspective that we've got to bring into the fold here. 
and it would not be my responsibility to hire or fire uh, the national team manager for the men, the women, the Paralympics, or others, but rather to bring together those that are experts in the game um, so that they can actually be a part of how and what we do to define what our national teams should represent. Ultimately, as, a pres as the president, I'll have a role in that, but from my perspective, you're not hiring uh, someone who should be our national team uh, general manager. You're electing a president, uh, and our membership is electing a president who should lead the conversation and, and ultimately make sure we've got the right process for how we identify, select, and manage uh, our national team programs. Speaking of that process, uh, Melanie from Charlotte wrote in, and she has a question uh, about the uh, general manager role that has been rumored to be uh, implemented by U.S. Soccer either before the selection or during the selection, uh, would you? It would oversee the coaching hires and a technical director. Do you think this is something U.S. Soccer should do, or should that oversight? Uh, the and by oversight, I mean coaching hires and a technical director. Should that remain with you as president? No, 100%. I think it should be a general manager, and I'm a strong advocate of bringing people in who wake up every day with a pit in their stomach about progressing this game, and they go to bed at night and put their head on the pillow, and what they dream about is our uh, youth development getting stronger, our national teams getting better. And I think that's what we as fans actually expect out of the Federation. Uh, the, the other part that I would say is I, I think we, we would want the right and the, and the ability to hire and hire those people. And, and by that I mean it shouldn't be just who we elect in a, on an every four-year cycle. There's no way that you can man we can manage whether or not the president uh, is successful or not, uh, except for every four years. So from my perspective, we want to make sure we've got technical people thinking about the game, uh, that we can hold accountable to the success both on the field, uh, but in, in representation of our federation. And so to me, I'm a strong advocate of bringing in people who are very focused on the game. Uh, so whether that happens before the hiring process will take quite a while, um, and it will be, I believe, one of the, the key things that, that the new president will have their fingerprints on. Uh, and I'm ready to get to work with, uh, with Dan Flynn, uh, the board, and with all of the, the rest of those that are part of the process to make sure we get the right people in place. Uh, Corey from Tampa wrote about the uh, rest of U.S. soccer, the divisions, and he says, many people don't know that the futsal and beach soccer national teams fall under U.S. soccer and they are growing in popularity due to their emphasis on footwork and possession skills. Mm -hmm. Do you think youth development would benefit from more opportunities to play futsal and beach soccer as a way to improve skills similar to the way they do it in Brazil? Uh, of course I do. In fact, I was just my, my niece was actually just playing in a futsal tournament when I was in Chicago uh, on Saturday. And um, we were talking just about what type of experiences that she was having. And she said, you know, I just get so much more comfortable on the ball. Uh, and so, you know, you think about that, that's obviously that's just one, one player and happens to be family. Um, but, you know, I think that there should be a much more emphasis on uh, futsal in particular. I think beach has a role, but futsal in, and, and what it can provide in terms of the quality of um, the technical ability uh, of, our, of our athletes, I think it's something that should be integrated into what our, what our states are, are actually providing as opportunities and what our kids are actually playing in, for sure. And another team that we actually have that falls under U.S. soccer is the Paralympic team. And Rebecca from Carson City asked, do you see – we have a men's Paralympic team. Do you see a women's Paralympic team in your future? Mm -hmm. You know, I think yes is the answer. 
I think the key thing for me is, um, and, and I've had this conversation with members of the Paralympic team uh, and actually members of the beach, uh, beach team in terms of what, what do we want to try to build as it relates to what, they, what, what access and what opportunities that they need. Because I think today we haven't really established how do we support those, those parts of our federation. And so I've, I've actually started to have those conversations about how do we define success? Um, because I think that definition of success beyond wins and losses um, actually will help us start to identify what type of investment that we need to put behind those teams as well, and then further to expand those teams into women's uh, and also to, to expand those so that those players are full-time or there's full-time coaches, um, but that we can just continue to provide the resources required for those, those programs to get to the level that we, we, we aspire to be at. Um, Andrew from AO Austin wants to ask about the actual role of being president of U.S. Soccer, and he asks, how much of the president's job is being a good business person or business leader versus being a quote-unquote soccer person? Well, what I would say is what we should be electing is the very best leader that we can, that we can elect, because ultimately this is uh, all of those things uh, that, that he states. It's both a business and it's both uh, the sport. And, but most importantly, what this is, is a leader to bring together what is actually a pretty disparate membership group uh, so that we can actually put forth um, a product and a federation that we're all excited about. Um, so we need somebody to lead us to that next, that next evolution of our federation. Uh, and so for me, it's somebody who's got, a, who's got great ability to bring disparate points of view together uh, and ultimately get people aligned behind a common vision because we've got a lot of choices and a lot of decisions to make. There's not unlimited resources, despite the fact we speak a lot about the, um, the size of the budget or even the, the, the surpluses uh, at U.S. Soccer. It's not unlimited. And I think we all as fans want to make sure that there's progress and there's growth. Uh, so for my, from my standpoint, I look at it as we must have a leader who knows how to make sure that we are um, thoughtful, um, we are measured, but we are successful. And I think that's what the American outlaws expect, and actually that's what I think our fans deserve. Um, Arnold from Nebraska. Yes, I'm sorry, Arnold from Nebraska. Uh, he wants to talk about coaching, and he says, "What is something specific you plan to implement to improve coaching in America, and when is a specific timeline we could expect that?" Well, I think one of the first things I'll do in sort of the first hundred days is really take a, a stronger and harder look at the coaching education. And one of the things I'm hearing a lot about from those that are what I would call in the field. Uh, is that coaching education has gotten pretty expensive for the entry-level coach. Uh, and I've heard that both from uh, our state associations in Mississippi and in West Virginia in particular, uh, where they've said to me, listen, we, we are our entry-level coaches, it's, it's cost prohibitive for them to get the, the licenses. And by the way, then I hear that also from California South. Uh, so it's not as if it's a it's an issue that is um, subject to smaller state associations. I think it's across the board. So we've got to figure out a way. I, I believe that if you're pursuing a higher level and, and pursuing greater uh, licenses and ultimately greater education, it should cost more money. But right now we've got to figure out how we reduce the barriers of entry uh, for those those people that are first getting into the game. Uh, and so for my first 100 days, it'll be digging deep to identify ways that we can make it easier for coaches to get into the game, but make sure we also provide the resources that keep our kids safe and keep them learning and keep them having fun. Um, one question that we got from Jack from Austin uh, is about your leadership skills, and it says, what is the one quality 
that you bring to the table as U.S. soccer president that is unique and something you think the Federation needs? Well, the one thing that I think is unique is empathy. Um, and I'd say that uh, that certainly doesn't define my entire leadership skills uh, or what I think people would say about me. Um, but I do think it is one of the assets that I would bring to bear on this. Uh, and what that will allow is for me to be collaborative, uh, transparent, uh, and ultimately to listen to the constituents. But also what most people tell you is that I am tough but fair. Um, but really, I think it's also to bring a different style and a different touch to this is um, one of the pieces of change that I think is really positive. Um, but again, if I were answering it with just a one-line answer, I'd say I bring empathy. Great. And keeping in those lines, how? let's talk about the fans for a minute because that's why we're all here. Yeah, let's do that. How will your presidency incorporate the views of fans and include them in the government's governance of U.S. soccer? Well, let me start by saying fans are the lifeblood of what we do as it relates to the national teams. It may not be the lifeblood of, of the player development side of things, but ultimately all of that leads up to the experiences that we all have as fans. Um, so for me, you, what you all do and the experiences that you bring to our stadiums is incredibly important. I was just over in uh, Glasgow over the holidays, and I was able to go to the old firm match uh, so at Celtic Park, and so watch Celtic Rangers. Uh, and you look at the cultural relevance that that game has, and of course there's hundreds of years of history, um, and I think about what we're building today with American Outlaws and what you brought down to uh, all of the men's national teams in, in Brazil, uh, where I attended with most of, in most of those games, and ultimately also uh, to Canada. So you guys need to have a, a voice at the table. Uh, what I've suggested is we start with a supporters council, uh, that allows you some uh, some direct access to both the leadership of the Federation in Chicago, but even to the president and to the board. Uh, we got to work on the logistics of how that operates, but from my perspective, making sure that you continue to put the energy and passion for the games that you have brought uh, is an imperative for our future and how we get more people in the fold as well. And staying along with those lines, uh, this year uh, U.S. Soccer created the Fan Council, which gives fans a small stake uh, in the governing body, including the presidential election. And Marcus from Portland asked how familiar you are with this entity and your thoughts on its future role. Well, I've, I've read about it, um, and that's sort of the same thing that we're talking about here. And I know that there'll be, I think it's, uh, you get uh, basically two, I think it's two people that'll be down in Orlando as a part of the, uh, the program and will be voting. Um, so from my standpoint, I, I think it's great. I actually think that uh, having fans as a part of the process is healthy. Uh, just like I think the process that we're going through, um, done and when we're debating whether or not we've got different ideas, I think is incredibly helpful and incredibly healthy for our federation. Uh, my objective, of course, is to make sure we continue to have that that dialogue and in a, in a, in a, where we talk about the issues as opposed to talk about uh, everybody's character, uh, because I think everybody that's running for this election uh, has really positive things to add to the discussion. And along those lines, keeping with the fans, uh, we, we're. For those of you just tuning in, we have about 35 minutes left, so please submit your questions using the Q&A tab. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. Uh, one question is, in regards to the game day experience, uh, I know you mentioned this in your questionnaire, but talk to us about how you feel uh, the game day experience is and how can it be improved uh, specifically for supporters. Well, I think I need to hear from you guys a little bit more. Um, you know, I've, I've had experiences uh, within MLS in particular 
uh, where we've had to work very diligently with the supporter groups within the MLS uh, cities and communities um, and really work whether it's about whether or not you can bring in uh, instruments or bring in poles as part of the flags and what do you do with capo stands and making sure that we have those those opportunities, what kind of TIFOs, getting in in advance to make sure we can put the TIFOs up. Um, so I think part of it is to actually make sure that we have a direct liaison to understand what are the needs for any particular match um, so that you all have a little bit of an easier time uh, to bring the great environment that you do. Now, Every stadium, as we know, is different. You guys probably understand that even more than I do. And when you're going in, as U.S. soccer does, where you may not own the stadium, where you can't store all of your, your uh, uh, flags and banners and poles and those types of things, it makes it a little bit more challenging because you guys are traveling. But I think if we have the right people and, and the right liaisons with American Outlaws, which I think in a lot of respects U.S. soccer has done, um, but we need to make sure there's a constant feedback loop for what you guys aren't being able to do in stadiums so we can determine how best to use that uh, both when we negotiate stadium contracts uh, but also make sure those stadiums are aware of what our expectations are going in. I want to shift our discussion right now to venue selection. Uh, we're going to start with the men. It's obviously been a hot button issue the past few days and months. Other candidates have spoken out about it and Mark from San Diego asked what will you change about the venue selection process for home matches particularly World Cup qualifying? Well, what I'd say first and foremost is um, U.S. soccer has total control over the decision of where games are played, and that should continue. Um, and the coaches have a, a role in those decisions as well. Um, I think that, that obviously the Federation works very diligently to make sure we put ourselves uh, in the best locations and the best stadiums possible. But I think we should, we should actually challenge our assumptions. And we've all talked an awful lot about uh, the game, the Costa Rica game at Red Bull Arena, uh, and whether or not that was a good idea or a bad idea. And it's easy for us to sit here today and think back um, and say, boy, if I knew now what, if I knew then what I know now, I might have made a different decision. But I don't think that's healthy for us. I think it's much healthier for us to look at how do we actually put our, our national teams in the best possible, uh, the best possible uh, position on a go-forward basis. But without question, I think we need to make sure that we've got good support uh, and we've got to work because our country is a melting pot. Uh, and I, I have no problem having some fans from the opposing teams in our stadiums. It's our job to make sure that the American Outlaws have a disproportionate size in that stadium because my experience is that when you guys have what you need, you can overpower anybody in any stadium uh, and give our guys a home, a home field advantage and give our women a home field advantage. So part of that is working with you to make sure that you've got enough time uh, to make sure that you can sell and bring enough of the American Outlaws into stadiums uh, to give all of our teams an advantage in those matches. And on the women's side, you know, scheduling women's matches on turf uh, has been a major point of contention in the last three years, even going back to before the 2015 World Cup. How will U.S. soccer under your presidency decide on venues for the women's national team, and will venues with turf still be in contention? I, you know, what I'd say is I think venues with turf for both our men and women will be in contention as long as FIFA makes it a uh, an opportunity, says that, that under a certain uh, type of field. But I think that, that there's a difference between that type of field, and I think that's the issue. So in Atlanta, where the Atlanta plays, or in Portland, where the Portland Timbers play and the Thorns play, um, those are fields that I think are uh, really quality 
Um, now, whether or not we want to put qualifiers in those venues uh, is something that we have to continue to work with our athletes, and we've got to continue to work with our coaches. Um, but i got to tell you, I've been, and I'm sure that many of you have been, uh, to the stadium fields in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and the thorns and the timbers, uh, and that field is the best in the, in the business. But um, I prefer personally to see it on grass, but I've got no problem with the quality that uh, they have in Portland and the quality that they have in Atlanta. Um, so we should look at all venues and we should look at all fields, but ultimately it shouldn't be any different for our women than it should be for our men. Uh, a fun question for you from Mix from Lincoln, and she writes, or I, I guess as a he or she, I'm not sure, um, but Mix writes, what point did you exactly, did you decide to run for U.S. soccer president and why? Sure. Well, I think we all um, took a hard look after Trinidad, as I call it, and I think a lot of conversations went from being had uh, in the pubs and in the boardroom or in the offices or on the fields. Uh, and that gave us an opportunity to take those conversations out uh, into the public forum. Uh, and so I, I thought long and hard over the last couple of years about what I would want to do if I led U.S. soccer. Um, and, and there are lots of things that we've talked about and I've laid out in many of the things that, uh, that you, you've read about. Uh, from vision to youth development to our women's national team and our women's program. But ultimately, when, uh, when it right came down to it, I had to get my head wrapped around the idea um, that I would actually have to, to resign my position. Uh, and so I'll tell you, we were watching Shark Tank. It was actually this, uh, and, and Dave, uh, my partner, said to me, he put the TV on pause, and he turned to me, and he said, hey, we've been talking about this for a couple of years. Uh, we've now been talking about this legitimately for the last few months. Do not let the time expire on your decision. Own your, own your own decision. Do it or don't do it, but don't let the nomination qualification pass um, and that be the excuse for you not, not getting in uh, because we believe as people that um, you're given opportunities in life uh, to give back in a way that can be positive for the next generation, and that's an obligation we feel. Um, and so he said, so own the decision. And uh, in the next couple of days, it became a reality for me to go out and try to lead this federation to the next generation. Uh, so credit him. Uh, he's an American Outlaws member, by the way. And, uh, and actually, if you've seen the picture, it's where it's how I actually have my Dosicero shirt um, and that we've actually uh, been parading around in lots of different places throughout the world uh, celebrating with the American Outlaws. So uh, he basically said, you know, Kath, own the decision. And so here I am. Well, we thank him for being a member, a loyal member like uh, everybody else. So yeah. uh, we definitely appreciate that. Um, let's circle back. We have about a half hour left. Let's circle back to the women's national team. Uh, the big debate surrounding that team over the last year has been on whether the women's national team players deserve equal pay to the men and how that structure would work. What does pay equity look like for you? I actually think that, that um, first of all, I am a – I sit here today saying I am – uh, not just an advocate, but I'm a byproduct of, of the entire system. Uh, and I have fought tooth and nail within the business and the community uh, to, to advocate on behalf of, of the, the, the women who, um, who work hard for the game uh, and ultimately have delivered the results. So I am of the idea and the camp uh, that there should never be a line between our shoulders, between our men's and our women's program. Um, and so I look at that really in three different areas. First is in the quality of life issues that um, should never be separate. Um, what we do for our women should be the same for our men and vice versa, whether that is uh, where they play, how they play, where they stay, and how they fly. 
all of that should be exactly the same. Um, I also think as it relates to marketing representation, it should be exactly the same. So whatever we do with our women should be the same for our men and vice versa. Uh, and then ultimately when it comes to how and what they do to be compensated, it should be equal. Now, I will say that both of those teams have different, uh, they have different choices that they have to make when they go into those bargain, bargaining sessions um, and what type of deals that they want, but it should be equal. I'm 100% on board with that, um, and I'm living proof that when you do that and continue to incentivize females, whether that be in business or in sport, uh, we become better as a result of that as organizations. Uh, shifting back to uh, the hiring process for uh, the men's and women's national teams, Obviously, we, we have a men's vacancy, and, you know, down the line, there is going to be a women's vacancy sooner, sooner or later. Uh, Ishmael writes, what qualities or characteristics will you prioritize when hiring the next coach for the men's and the women's teams? He wrote about the men's. There's another question about the women's. Sure, sure. About. Yeah. Well, um, like I said before, to me, I think that, and I've said this in, in a couple of different interviews that I've given, um, I think we as fans should not just expect results, but we should also expect um, a style that actually represents the qualities of our country. Um, but I also believe that we've got to set up a far greater um, evaluation process that's much more transparent for uh, not just our athletes, but also for our fans. Um, because I think today that's been a little bit um, murky at best for me. Um, how are we going to judge um, how our, our teams perform? Is it only about wins and losses, or is it also how they actually represent? Um, and so that's all a part of what we've got to build in the technical side of U.S. soccer, and I think that's priority number one as we hire a general manager is to say, well, how are we going to define success? Um, because for me, it's not just successful if our men's national team is doing well, but our, uh, our under-23s don't qualify for the Olympics. And so we've got a lot of work to make sure we understand. But by the way, perhaps it's okay if our U-17s um, do well, but maybe if they don't win and we're getting good, good reps, if you will, for those athletes. And so we haven't defined any of those things today. And I think that's something that, that we should expect uh, the general manager and the technical staff to put forth what they believe we should look at as success. And that should be then merchandised with the membership uh, and also then finally with the board of directors and the president. You know, a Gallup poll released last week uh, show, showed that soccer popularity tripled in the United States in the last decade and is closing in on big four sports like basketball and baseball. And Cody from Kansas City writes in and says, as popularity grows, how do we make sure Americans are supporting their local teams and not just leagues abroad? That's a, that's a good question, and I think that's one that uh, certainly Major League Soccer, the NWSL, and the USL, uh, and the NASL have been working on, and every other community um, that's out there. You know, I think that we're making progress, but we have a long way to go. And we, we see an awful lot of conversations, whether it's around the Premier League or around Liga, Liga MX, um, that we've got to start to transition. So that I have no problem. And by the way, soccer fans can be fans, and I'm a fan of multiple teams. Um, I have a team in the Premier League. I have a team in Major League Soccer. I have a team in the NWSL. Um, and I think that part of that is that we, we want to make sure that uh, you are fans of our, our beautiful game, but you're also fans at home. So that's some of the work I think we've got to do. Um, it's, the rising tide is lifting all the boats, and so we can't be afraid of that competition. We've got to create environments that fans feel good about and a long-term connection with clubs that will be born over years and generations of support. Uh, this is on youth development, and, and I, I 
apologize to the uh, AO member that posed this question a few days ago, uh, but I thought it was a good one. And it asked, where does the high school and college game play into your plans for improving youth development in this country? Well, clearly today on the men's side, it hasn't been uh, looked upon favorably. And I think certainly on the women's side and the girls' side, um, high school is under uh, consideration at this point um, as it relates to the development academy. Um, but I think, you know, there are 50,000 players that are playing in college. And uh, I think we've got to take that, um, and that's both men and women. And I think we got to look at that pretty hard in a positive light um, because those are future fans and their future administrators and their future coaches uh, and they're people who love the game. Uh, and what I would say is I think that whether it's a part of the professional uh, track, which I think it still could play a very significant role, um, it is absolutely a part of our fan development track. And I think we've got to lean in a heck of a lot harder as it relates to, um, as it relates to college soccer. Um, I think secondly, if you think about it, um, there's still a role for high school soccer as well. Um, and because in most cases, that doesn't cost a lot for a kid to play college soccer or high school soccer. Um, and that might be an opportunity for us to continue some development for those kids that can't afford certain areas um, that have become um, a little bit more cost prohibitive. So I think we've got to look at it all. And that's certainly a part of the independent commission is to say we, we've chosen to, to, to de-emphasize some of those programs, um, but there are opportunities for kids to play. And so I'm, I want to change some of the, the a little bit of how we how we maybe communicate those uh, because also it gives a lot of kids an opportunity to associate with their communities and I think that's a good thing. We're bouncing around here we have a lot of questions coming in as you guys know we have about 20 minutes left so if you guys have questions feel free to submit them using the Q&A tab again please include your name and the chapter you represent so I know where these questions are coming from and we want to see where these they're coming from all around the country so uh, I want to go to Mo in Vermont Mo asked can you discuss the current MLS schedule and any changes or modifications you would lobby to make to it? Well, I would say um, that the MLS calendar, as we all know, starts in March and ends in uh, the cold part of December. Um, but, uh, and I, I think we, we should continue to look at the schedule. I think that, that is a difficult, difficult thing. As a fan, of course, uh, it seems very simple. Let's go change the schedule. Um, so I think we've got to work with uh, MLS to see if there are ways for us to continue to expand the, um, the schedule. It's actually, for me, today it's less about starting in March and ending in December, and it's much more about player development and whether or not uh, the schedule is long enough. Um, our, our having uh, playoffs, actually, which I'm a strong advocate for because uh, it allows us to, to create uh, a, that the, the heart of our season as, and the, the blood sport of the playoffs. You're, you win, you go on, or you lose, and you're out. Um, and I think that's an important part of the calendar. Um, but today it means that a lot of clubs don't continue playing, and therefore those athletes aren't uh, continuing their training, uh, which means that the season is actually a bit small, uh, shorter than the rest of the world, um, even though it feels that it's so long. So I think we've got to continue to work with Major League Soccer and the owners, but ultimately it is their decision about how, how best to lay that uh, schedule out. Um, but I think we've got to continue to work on it. I think that's uh, – if, if there's anything that MLS has proven is they're certainly willing to evolve. Uh, and that to me is pretty healthy for the future of our game. And Rebecca from Carson City writes back in and asks, how do you see making sure our players are staying here rather than going abroad? And I guess she means uh, by uh, staying in MLS. Well, I think um, player movement is a part of global football. And, um, you know, for me personally, I think, and as president of the United States Soccer Federation, I'd actually be looking at pushing MLS clubs 
to, to give more opportunity for our young players. Uh, and that's one area that I think that uh, there have been an introduction of a lot of international players, which has helped the quality of play, uh, but one where I actually would like to see more and more Americans get their shot. Um, but not, it's just natural, and I think you see that with every league around the world, that there is a, a natural transition. There's an ebb and flow to athletes. I mean, we're seeing that right now with the speculation of where Christian's going to eventually play beyond Dortmund. Um, but from my own standpoint, I think we want to see more and more kids coming through the system uh, within MLS. Uh, some of those kids may choose to play internationally. Um, but whatever it is we can do to continue to give kids that choose to go forward in their professional career opportunities, uh, and I'd love to see him play in Major League Soccer um, so long as we're giving him the right opportunities to develop. Uh, but for me, we want those players to get the best experience no matter where they play. All right. Uh, Nate from Port Aransas asked, in what way would U.S. soccer's relationship with some change under your presidency, if any? Well, I think I'd push some to make more money for us. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of misinformation out there about Soccer United Marketing and the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, which I think is is somewhat unfair. Um, is and and I of course am somewhat biased, but um, but I'm not as it relates to the business structure. Um, some has provided economic opportunity, not just for Major League Soccer, but more importantly for the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, to plan and build programs that creates greater opportunity for our great game. Um, I would push some very, very hard. I'd push them to even see greater success on behalf of the Federation, and I'd work within the system that we have today uh, to make sure that um, the Federation continues its, its growth and opportunity. Because ultimately, those dollars are what we're going to invest back, not just into our national teams, but into player development, into opportunities for kids to participate in our game. So for me, I don't know that there needs to be change. I think there needs to be a heck of a lot more opportunity uh, for, for us to drive more and more revenue into U.S. soccer that will help our game get bigger and bigger. Uh, Patrick from AO Boca Raton uh, asked, how will you create a culture of accountability up and down the leadership chain of U.S. soccer that will own the results of key matches like World Cup qualifiers rather than making excuses about them? Well, I come from a business world, so that's fairly simple for me to answer, and that's just kind of 101 for any type of business where you, you set your goals, um, you set your objectives, and then you actually hold uh, your, your employees accountable. Um, things are going to happen inside your control. Things are going to happen outside of your control. Um, but ultimately what I'd say is um, my objective and, and as president of U.S. Soccer is to give all of our members and our fans, the federation and national teams, they could be proud of. Uh, and sometimes we're not going. Sometimes we're going to fail. Um, and if, my theory is often, if you're if you don't fail on occasion, you're not trying hard enough. The question isn't do you fail. The question is what you what do you do as a result of that. And so I would tell all the fans and all the American outlaws um, that we should be pushing hard. Um, and sometimes we're going to we might be right, and every once in a while we may we may make some mistakes. Um, and we want those mistakes because as we look at this, it's what will make us get better, and that will make us prouder as fans and, and actually support our national team and, and our national teams and our federation even more. Guys, we have about 15 minutes left, about 10 minutes left for questions. So if you have questions, again, please submit them. This is your final warning to get those questions in. Um, Alex from Chicago asks, playing in Chicago at a youth travel level, I have noticed that the Chicago Fire has pretty much a monopoly on youth soccer. I wonder how you can stop uh, – how can you stop good players being overlooked and the clubs that do play 
not being able to not having to travel two to three hours for a game. So I guess the question is these academies that they have, a lot of people think that they have on monopoly. How do you get them to look at some of these players in, in areas that they're, that are usually underserved uh, or urban areas that we're not, that we're missing. Sure. And I think, by the way, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I think we're seeing that being a, a topic of conversation uh, around um, the country right now. Um, and one that I don't think we've got good answers uh, for. And I don't think it's an issue with Major League Soccer and the Chicago Fire. I think it's an issue for our sport in its totality. Um, today, there are a lot of ways that kids can actually um, evolve. But right now, unless a kid is a part of the Development Academy, we're not finding them. Um, but some kids are choosing a different path, which I, which I actually am okay with. Um, so the question for me is, and I think it started, there was a question that was much earlier uh, in, the, uh, in the forum talking about scouts. Um, and we sure, we sure should have more than one scout out there. Um, you know, I had a conversation earlier this week with somebody who talked about starting to engage even with the college coaches uh, who are out there. And, and is there a way we create informal, even informal scouting networks based on what they're trying to do to recruit? Um, so there's a lot of ways that we might be able to find solutions to this, um, but if we don't, that's the crux of this issue. If we don't find a way uh, to find those kids that are playing in all corners of our country, um, then we will have done a disservice to you, our fans. Uh, heading up I-90 to Milwaukee, we have Carrie asking, can you address how the NWSL can be marketed, thus raising salaries so we can compete with the huge European teams now adding women's clubs? And do you see incentivizing MLS teams to support an NWSL team? Yeah, you know, I guess what I'd say is, I'm, um, first of all, we, we're heading into our fifth season here, and I think that um, we should be proud of that. Um, and certainly the quality of the experience for the athletes isn't where we ultimately want it to be. Um, and so we've got to work hard. And I think the Federation has done a good job. And I, under my uh, leadership, I'd want to continue uh, and actually expand that support of the NWSL um, so that the owners within the NWSL continue to invest uh, the way that they are in many markets, uh, but perhaps may not have the resources in all markets. Um, I also believe that I'm uniquely positioned uh, to actually work with those owners that have taken positions across the country, um, whether that be in MLS or USL clubs, and, and really work with them to see if there are ways that we can get them to also expand from those investments and include women's soccer into that through the NWSL or perhaps even other other ways. Um, and, but I think that's a part of it. And I think we've got to make sure we've got somebody who's willing to sit at the board table uh, and help those, those uh, uh, owners really look at ways that they can expand perhaps uh, their pyramid in their, in their markets the way that they've done in Portland or the way they've done in Orlando uh, or the way they've done in North Carolina as examples. Uh, we have another fun question here from Brian from A.O. Lawrence. And Brian asks, who are your favorite players that you've watched on the men's and women's team, current or past? Well, um, past, uh, let me start there. Um, I would say for me, I mean, watching Mia, and I grew up in uh, Northern Virginia, and um, I can remember when Mia got her first contract with Nike, and uh, she was the first female player that any of us knew that could train full-time and not have to worry about um, coaching or doing clinics or getting a date job, so to speak. Uh, so watching Mia all those years ago, um, both as a uh, competitor but then more so as a fan, still is one of my favorite things to, to remember back in the game. Uh, on the men's side, and you know, I, I would say, gosh, I used to love Thomas Dooley, um, and that's going way back, by the way. 
and uh, he he was a terrific. Uh, terrific addition to the U.S. national team, uh, and then there were—I mean, Tab was great. I mean, I was at the uh, the game against Brazil when he took that horrible, horrible elbow to the uh, to the cheek, and that was in uh, 1994. Um, so I could go on and on about the history of our game, um, whether it was Brandy, and I was in the stadium in 1999 when she scored the penalty uh, and ripped off her shirt, and have a lot of time for for that moment as well. Uh, in today's day and age, I would tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the young players coming up. Um, I'm really excited about Mallory Pugh um, and love seeing the development of, of Mallory. Um, and uh, uh, also uh, Haran, um, been excited to see her getting a bunch more time. But how can you also not talk about Alex Morgan, who I think has refound um, some of her uh, scoring touches of late. Um, so I'm excited about seeing what they do as we head towards uh, towards France of next year. On the men's side, um, I, I get in this debate with my dad all the time about Michael Bradley, uh, and he is a uh, he, he's, he is um, says Michael maybe getting a little older, and I say no. I still think that he's the heart blood of our team, uh, and actually the soul of our of our, our national team. Uh, but then of course you watch Christian uh, Pulisic, and you see I was there in Columbus when he got I think it was Columbus when he got his first cap. Um, and became cap tied for the United States. So there's some good young players. I, I've been interested to see, um, and I've watched uh, Tyler Adams as he's come through the ranks at the Red Bulls, and with this last season was really fun to watch him really break out. So I could actually spend the whole hour talking about this, so I should probably shut up at this point and move on to the next question. But that just gives you a flavor. I'm, I'm key on a lot of the, the young guys um, and the young women that are coming through the system. Um, and I'd love to spend, I'm going to spend, I'll spend a lot more time watching some of the, the youth games as well. Uh, but those are just a flavor for, for what I like. I do love that, by the way. I, I shouldn't, I should end on Landon, um, who probably is one of my, my favorite players uh, for the U.S. men's national team. All right, let's talk about future World Cups. Uh, and in your questionnaire, you mentioned that you would do everything you can to see the U.S. Uh, host the 2026 World Cup and the 2027 Women's World Cup. Now, mm -hmm. as you know, this is something that has never been done before, one nation hosting both the men's and the women's World Cups in consecutive years. How and then the Olympics, by the way. And, and then, then the, the yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, we, we can do that. I mean, we have the unique resources to be able to accomplish all three of those things. And, um, you know, from my perspective, let's start with uh, 2026 and winning that bid. The, the president who comes in will have um, a lot less to do with our ability to win it. Uh, because I think so much of the work has already been done. Uh, but clearly we'll have a role in making sure that we advocate with FIFA um, once we do hopefully win that with our friends in Mexico and in Canada, uh, all of whom I'm very, very close with, to make sure that we, we are able to host not just the greatest events on the planet, but also then leave a legacy behind for the future of our game. Uh, follow that on with what I think would then be um, the, the, the greatest FIFA Women's World Cup um, if we are able to win to host in 2027. Uh, and we are uniquely positioned to be able to do that and then host the, the also the greatest event since 1999. So it's kind of interesting. You know, we, we still have the record from 1994 as the most successful uh, Men's World Cup and obviously 1999 as the most successful Women's World Cup. So I'm all about let's go and beat all those records. Um, but more importantly, see if we can also host a, uh, a championship trophy in those. And along those lines, uh, one thing that we have not hosted in a very long time, if ever, has been the Youth World Cups as well as the Club World Cup. Do you see yourself 
uh, as US, do you see U.S. soccer under your presidency competing for and attempting to win bids to host those World Cups? Yes, um, absolutely on the youth. I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, the Club World Cup long term, and I think that's certainly um, debatable at this point, actually, what that looks like. Um, so, yes, um, that perhaps more important to me would be the national team competitions, not to, to dismiss the quality or the value of the Club World Cup. Um, but I do think that um, hosting some of the age-restricted competitions uh, should be something we should really take a look at. Uh, there's a whole lot of new, uh, new things that are coming into the system as well. Uh, we've seen Europe introduce um, the Nations League or the League of Nations, um, and that's something I, th I think we'll see that expand. Um, and that there'll be more opportunity for us to host um, some big events that, that actually bring together some of the world's elite, including the United States, uh, in competitions. And I'd love to see that happen more here in the United States. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. And this question comes from Phoebe from Hoboken. And she asks, what are your plans to increase participation in urban areas and other underserved communities? Uh, well, I really am an advocate of what the um, U.S. Soccer Foundation is doing. Uh, they're building 100 fields or 100 facilities in inner cities. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to work hand-in-hand uh, -hand with what they're doing, not just in building the facilities, but then providing the programming uh, for the kids in the inner city in this particular instance to participate. Um, as it relates to those that are outside of perhaps the inner city, uh, it's what can we do then to build uh, programs. And so I think the foundation has done a lot of great work. I also think that um, uh, there are a number of other uh, organizations that are building great programs. And I think we as a federation could lean into the work that they're doing uh, and help them continue to get stronger. Uh, but in particular, the inner city program with what the foundation is doing, I think is a, an absolutely terrific, terrific program. All right. I think we, we have a few minutes left. So I wanted to give you a chance to kind of sum up everything and, and give some closing remarks. So I'll let you do that. You bet. Well, first of all, thank you. This has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And most importantly, uh, thank you who uh, took time to, to join us this evening and those that will watch uh, at a later date. Uh, the American Outlaws, in my opinion, are one of the unique and un incredible assets um, that you guys have created on behalf of our game uh, and ultimately continue to go out on weekends uh, around the country in support of our national teams. Uh, so I look forward to working with you, all the chapters around the country of the American Outlaws, uh, to, to help you get stronger and better, uh, because ultimately the, the environment that you bring into the games, I would say, is second to none across the world. Uh, and while I've seen that firsthand, uh, I also believe that uh, with some support from us at the Federation uh, and, and with uh, support in the markets, we can help you even do more. Um, so I look forward to working with you. I hope uh, you, you liked tonight and some of the ideas that I have for the future of our U.S. Soccer Federation and also of our U.S. national teams, uh, and I thank you very much. Thank you, Kathy Carter. We really appreciate you joining us this evening. We wish you the best of luck in the campaign. I know we will see you again down the line either uh, in the office or in the stands or both. You'll see um, me for sure in the stands. Absolutely. And uh, for us, that's going to do it for tonight's Live Candidate Forum. Uh, we here at AO National would like to thank all you members who tuned in tonight because without your membership, it's, we don't get to do cool things like speak with a presidential candidate. Uh, so if you know someone who's interested in this race and wants to get involved, let them know how to get involved. Let them know about our AO Election Center uh, page. Let them know about the blog that's posting all the questionnaires from the candidates as they come in. Tomorrow, we have Hope Solo joining us for a live forum. It will be an audio-only forum 
but you will still be able to tune in using the same uh, software and listen and ask questions. That will begin at 8 p.m. on the east, 5 p.m. in the west. But for now, have a great night, AO family, and thank you. We'll see you tomorrow.